The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gap number 369. That, that's just cool. I don't know why. For Monday, December 12th, 2011. <laughs> To the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, the show where you send in your questions, you send in your tips. We try to provide some answers, and all together we learn something new about computers and uh, and life in general. Here, I'm Dave Hamilton here from Durham, New Hampshire, and I'm and I'm John F. Braun in Fairfield, Connecticut. John, I agree with you. the uh, The show number three six nine. It, it is three six nine. What did I say? Uh, it is a mathematically pleasing number. It's like, you know, it's threes, so it's not entirely square. It's got like this oddball thing, but it's just three plus three plus three. So it's like it's like a square peg in a round hole that fits. And I like that. Well, it's three to the one, three to the two and three to the. No, it's not. I'm sorry. No, three times. No, it's three times one, three times two, three times three. Right. Yeah, yeah not, it is pleasing. Last time we had this was, you know, two, four, six, I guess. Oh, right. yeah. But we didn't notice it then. I don't know why. I like this, though. Three, six, nine. See, it's great. It's good. Uh, yeah. So based on uh, well, based on this and based on the pre-show, I'm really looking forward to today's show because we've got uh we seem to have a lot of energy for these crazy technological things. So uh, what I want to do is uh, we also have, of course, all our sponsors and all that stuff. I want to talk about our first sponsor right out of the gate here, uh, at, partially because I like to talk about our sponsors, partially also partially because they pay us. And uh, lastly, because I know we're going to wind up getting into some deep discussions and I want to make sure we don't skip anybody. And so our first sponsor today is a returning sponsor for Mac Geek Cab, and it is Audible at uh, audiblepodcast.com slash MGG. And I'll tell you why that link's important uh, a little later on here. But uh, Audible, if you don't know, is a store and really a, an online kind of management and repository for audiobooks, all kinds of audiobooks. Pretty much any book you can think of is probably out there in Audible's library. It's certainly been the case for me anytime I've looked for books out there. Uh, the, you know, there's a couple of favorites that I, I like to recommend. First of all, I will recommend the obvious, although it it, it really was a great book, is uh, the uh, the Steve Jobs biography by Walter Walter Isaacson. There are two versions that I've found in the Audible store, John. One of them is... Uh, they're both narrated by Dylan Baker, but one of them has an introduction from Walter Isaacson, who is the uh, author of the the written version. And of course, the version that Dylan Baker is reading. So uh, so there's no reason not to get the one with Walter Isaacson. And in fact, you can get it for free. And that's where that link I mentioned comes in handy. Audiblepodcast.com slash MGG qualifies you for a free audiobook and also a trial, a completely free trial of Audible Listener Gold. So you get your free book and you can keep that book even if you cancel before you pay anything. Really important. This is truly free. Yes, you have to sign up for an account, but you can cancel before you get billed and you will get to keep anything you've had. In fact, if you keep a subscription for three months and you get several books and then your subscription lapses or you cancel, you still have access to those three books that you got during that subscription period. So uh, that's really important. I, uh, I wanted to make sure everybody knew that. 
it's not like that you're locked in and you can only get to this stuff when you have the subscription. So it's uh, audiblepodcast.com slash MGG. And uh, and you can check out, you know, I, I've recommended the Steve Jobs book, but there's really any, you know, you go find something that you really like. It's uh, probably going to be doing some some road tripping a little bit. A lot of you during the uh, upcoming holidays. So go sign up. Uh, go sign up now. And uh, and you can put the show on pause and then come on back and uh, and continue listening with us. How's that sound, John? You like that? Love it. Good. All right. So let's talk a little bit about email. Uh, we talked a little bit about email in the last show, and, and we're going to finish up uh, some of that discussion here, John. But first and foremost, uh, during the last show, I said that Comcast offered IMAP email to their residential customers, and that is false. Uh, I was wrong about that. They do not offer IMAP. I don't know why. I, I, I would swear that at some point in the past, I had been able to log into their system with IMAP. Uh, they do give you 10 gigs of email storage. I just don't I don't know why they don't offer it, but uh, I'm sure there's there's several reasons, one of which is that they just haven't bothered to turn it on. But uh, but but so there you go. So Comcast does not offer IMAP. However, if you want a free IMAP account, there are a couple that you can use uh, me.com through iCloud is one way. Gmail is another. And frankly, that's probably enough if you can't find one that you like in there, uh, then, you know, you're uh, well, you're just being difficult. Frankly, I think that's what it is, John. Right? <laughs> no, that was certainly the case with me up until very recently. But that's uh, that. That that question is 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 coming soon. That's right. Uh, all right. So let's 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 ease uh, in back into the email discussion. We'll talk to Joe, and then and then we're going to talk to our own Mr. John F. Braun here and see if we can't uh, help him get over this hump. So, Joe, what do you got? Hey guys, Joe here from Raleigh. I have a tip I wanted to share. So far as consolidating emails under iCloud. Uh, in my case, I wanted to keep my long-standing email address, but have everything funneled through iCloud so that I only had to read it once, you know, not every time on each and every uh, device. My solution has been to go through and have each one of my devices, including my Mac, uh, sync up to the iCloud account. I then went into my long-standing email account provider and had it forward all my mail to my iCloud or my me.com uh, address. And all that's fairly straightforward. The problem was, was from like my iPhone, if I disabled then my main account because I didn't need it anymore, basically, then I couldn't send email from my old account name. It only allows you to send email from your active accounts and settings. So what I, my solution is, is I went in and I reactivated the account, but then I got duplicate emails of every email, everything that come from the, the you know, the old email account uh, server, uh, you know, and then what got forwarded to iCloud. So my solution was to go into mail settings and keep the outgoing mail server information there, but delete my password for my incoming mail server. And what that has effectively allowed me to do is to not read email on the old account name, but it still exists for sending email. And now everything's wonderful. So just thought that might be worth sharing. Perhaps there's a more elegant solution, but that seems to have done the trick for me. Uh, good talking to you guys. Uh, you can cut me off here. And we shall. Okay, a couple of things. And that certainly works, Joe, although... 
Uh, one of the things you said concerns me, and there's a couple couple things I want to talk about. But but number one, you said that when you re-enabled your initial uh, email account, and you had both enabled. You were getting double copies of of your email, one from the uh, initial account, and then one from your me.com account, which is what you had forwarded to. If that is true, then it means that while you are forwarding email from your old account to your me.com account. It is keeping that on the initial server. Uh, if it wasn't, then you wouldn't be pulling them down when you connected. At some point, if you're not checking email there, Joe, you're going to fill that server up and then it's going to start bouncing email. So you want to go back into your settings. I don't know what provider you have or anything like that, but you're going to want to go in there and figure out a way of telling it forward this email to my me.com account and don't save a copy because, again, if it does, it will f- eventually fill up that email box and then start bouncing things. Uh, I've, I've run into this myself, and, and I can guarantee you that it will happen. It's just a question of when, and, and that's a function of how much storage space uh, you have on that, on that initial account. So check that out. Uh, as far as send from, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about a solution, but then I'm also going to ask John, I'm going to ask you for your thoughts on this. In iOS... You can actually have multiple from addresses attached to an account. And the way you do this, it's the same. Actually, you can do this in mail on, on your Mac, too. Um, on, on the Mac, you go into mail, preferences, uh, accounts, and you pick the account and you'll see description, email address, full name, incoming mail server, username, etc. on that first screen for account information. The second box that says email address will have your email address. If you put a comma after your email address and then put another email address, I I separate it with a space because it's easier to read, but I don't think you have to. uh, It will then give you a choice of sending from both of those email addresses. And you can do the same on iOS, but where it gets a little interesting on iOS is, uh, you know, iOS has custom keyboards. And what's interesting is when you go into your account and you go to edit, uh, there is no comma available to you when you are editing the address section of the account. So you have to find a creative way of putting a comma in there. And what I've done is I've gone elsewhere, like into the notepad and I type out my list of email addresses with commas and separated and all that. And then I highlight it, I copy it and I paste it in. So, so that's that. But, and this is why I want to ask you, Mr. Braun. So we've given a couple of tips here, but Mm -hmm. I, I fear that one of my tips, in fact, this very last one may be false depending on the outgoing provider you're using Will me.com in Joe's case, and I know you know this answer, uh, will it allow him to send from a non me.com address? N O. I didn't think so. Okay. <clears throat> so, there, at least through mail app. Right, right. And maybe we should migrate into the discussion of what I've been doing. Well, yeah, can, that's. Can we? That, can we because that's, that's one of the. One, okay. Yeah. So yeah, give me right. Yeah, let me let me ease into this because there's there's a uh, there's a couple of things I've got a I've got a vision here, John. Bear with me. I know I'm crazy. But... I trust your vision. Okay, good. <laughs> that makes one of us. Um, so you can't do that with me.com, but you can do that with Gmail. Okay, uh, and you can do it the way you're doing it, Joe. But if you ever well, if you ever lose that address, you're not going to get forwarding anyway. So the way you're doing it is fine. But you can configure Gmail to let you send from different addresses, but you have to do it. In Gmail's interface, you have to go into your um, mail settings. I'll, I'll walk you guys through this. 
as it comes up. So you go into Gmail and they've got some fancy new interface and you go into the upper right, you hit the gear, you go to mail settings and then you go to forwarding and pop. Is that right? Yes. Forwarding and pop. Uh, no, sorry. You go to accounts and in so uh, mail settings accounts. And then the second option in accounts is send mail as, and you can click to add another email address you own. What will happen when you do this is it will send an email to whatever address you type and it will have a little code in there. Assuming you can enter the code back into Gmail as it was sent to you, then they will confirm that email address as being yours. And then you can send from that address. I'm right on that, right, John? I'm pretty sure. Yes. Okay. Okay. Right. Yeah, they send you an email. They send you a confirmation email. If you click on the magic link, then it, it will get added. As you pointed out, there's this section in the accounts and import part of the settings that says send mail as. And, yep. and you will see, uh, like in my case, yeah, once I added the addresses, it would send a email to prove that you own that address. And, the, and then their outgoing mail server will accept that as a valid address in the from field. Right. right? That's right. And then what you want to do, though, is at the bottom of that list, and this is especially important if you're using something like mail app, i.e. not not sending all your email from inside Gmail, uh, is at the bottom of that send mail as list. Once you add a second address there, uh, there is a little option, and it's when replying to a message, and you can say reply from the same address the message was sent to, or always reply from my default address. Uh, you have to choose reply from the same address the message was sent to. Otherwise, Gmail will replace your email address on outbound mail with whatever your default address is. Uh, and that's true if you're going with um, a third party email client like mail or your iOS or anything like that. So. Right. OK, so now, John, you've been going through something. And I had a, I had a thought today, but I know we're going to answer a bunch of questions for you. But I, I had a thought today. You've got your old opt online email account, which was a pop account through your cable vision, your, your, uh, your, mm-hmm. your ISP. And now you're forwarding all that stuff over to Gmail so that you can use IMAP for all the reasons that we just discussed. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but their forwarding mechanism is weak in that you can't, or there doesn't appear to be a way for you to say forward everything over. You have to actually add rules for it to do this. Is that correct? Right. Now I'll go into a little detail here. So, so okay. what I get, so when I go to opt online and I go through their web interface, they have a number of things you can do. And one of them, the only way I found I could do this is a feature that they have called filters. Okay. And here's what a filter is. So looking at the filter, there, there are two, two major parts to it. One is a condition that must be met. So for example, in this case, the, the first thing I defined was a filter saying if any, and it could be any or all, if any of the following conditions are met, and here was the condition, uh, or the best that I could define using, the, using their interface. If the to or CC field contains and my opt online address, then do the following. And, and here's where they, and, and it actually sounds very similar to the problem we just heard about here yep. with, with duplicates. And it says, do the following actions. And the first action is, all right, well, you can either move it to an inbox or copy it or don't save. And what I found is I have to say, don't save. Otherwise, it's going to put it in my pop email box. Then they have a second option with a checkbox saying, oh, by the way, send it to an alternate email address, which is effectively a forward. And that's where I said, well, send it to my Gmail address. Sure. 
But that only works if you if you if the email is sent to the an address that that is clear in the headers of the email. If, for example, Correct. if you're on a mailing list that BCCs you emails and, and your email address is not in the to header, then it won't forward that. Is that right? Um, you know, I don't think it is because what I found in, in the past, because I actually had this problem when I was trying to take my Mac Observer email and put it into a folder called Mac Observer in Mail App. Yep. One thing I found was messages that didn't explicitly have me listed in the to field. Like, as you're saying, a lot of yeah. times you don't want to list. Yeah, I've seen people screw things up, usually <laughs> when they don't know what they're doing. Uh, yeah, they'll have everybody's to address in the to field, and that is the wrong way to do it. But what I found, Dave, is that Mail App, you can create a rule, and let me bring up the rule here. <sighs> So hidden in, so I believe hidden in the header somewhere is a, is a field that I found called X bin there. Yep. And that's from, that's a, that's a Google header actually, believe it or not. Oh, it is. But the yeah. thing is it contains the, the, or at least I found it was a way for me to take something that was sent to me without my name in the two field. Right. And it, and it would, it would react to that. Got it. That makes Actually, I, I'm trying to think X bin there. That's either the Google one or delivered to is, is it? it yeah, but there's right. It, it, those headers may change for you, John, as you move from opt online to, to Gmail. Um, but just check for them. You'll, you'll know cause your rules will stop working. But, uh, but yeah. Yeah. All right. So I, but I had, I had this thought for you, John, cause I know that, you know, it's possible you've got other things forwarding into your opt online address that won't get caught by these filters you've set up. And so they'll just wind up being, uh, you know, stuck in your opt online box. Now, certainly you could configure mail and your iPhone and everything else to check Gmail and opt online still and pull this stuff in. But being that opt online is pop, it's going to be all confused. It'd be great if everything got forwarded, if there was some way of doing that, but there's not except what I, I came up with. And that is, so you, you set up your forwards for everything that you can possibly think of. And then it's sort of a catch all, if you will, for anything that does wind up in your inbox, go into your Gmail account. Yeah, nice. Did. Yep. I said Gmail account and go in back into that settings and into that accounts and import field. Uh, and then the, below send mail as is an option to check mail using pop three. And you can put your opt online pop account details in here and have Gmail go out periodically and slurp up anything that's in your pop inbox and populate it into your Gmail inbox. And this a keeps your account from filling up without you knowing and B puts everything into that one mailbox that you wanted anyway. That okay. So anything that misses the filter, right? Cause right now the way I have to find the filter will catch most everything, but not everything. Okay. Yeah. So that was one thought that I had for you earlier today. That's a good, that's a good thought. I know. I know. So I thought you'd appreciate that. And I figured I'd share it with everybody because, you know, everybody's doing this. Now, the weird thing. Now, Go. the second thing that I tried, and this is where it got a little crazy. Yep. So then I also, because the way we, we had it set up was that an email sent to Mac, uh, to my Mac Observer address. Yep. You would forward it up until very recently. You would forward it also to my opt online. That's right. Yeah. You had us forwarding an email to you at Mac Observer to opt online. That's correct. So I was like, oh, okay, well, let me create another rule that says, okay, same thing. If two or CC contains, 
my address, uh, you know, which is, yeah, John at backobserver.com. Right. Not a big secret. Right. Though you certainly don't want to send things there about the podcast because that would be feedback at MacGeekab.com. No, that's, that's, that's <laughs> feedback at MacGeekab.com, John. <laughs> I agree with you. Okay, good. Feedback at MacGeekab.com. Right. But in this case, no, it would be MacObserver.com. So, and this, I think, is a problem with Gmail because the thing was... Because we're using, uh, at this point now, Google, uh, I guess the Google infrastructure to handle MacObserver.com. I don't know what happened, but when I said, okay, if anything has a 2 or CC, that's my MacObserver.com and forward it to my Gmail account, it just didn't. I, I bet it's hung up somewhere in Google servers because it was coming from Google out and then coming back in. I bet that was causing a kind of an infinite loop, if you will. I bet now that we've changed things and now we have your Mac Observer yeah. stuff forwarding straight to your Gmail account. I bet that will uh, I bet that'll solve this. I'm still actually so, now I'm scratching my head and wondering why we didn't why we had you create a Gmail account. Why we didn't just give you an uh, IMAP account at uh, at TMO. But anyway, well, we could do that, too. We could. Yeah, it's certainly easy. Because the other thing is I wanted to save all my uh, you know, I, I have now because I had the pop account, you know, all my. Sent mail is, is is saved, and I do still want to save that, and maybe right. I'll archive it. Right. But here's the other thing I thought that I do, and and it does bring up a point that we were talking about before. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, for whatever, whatever silly reason, Gmail is not accepting. Yeah, again, it's getting in some weird loop because it's coming from Gmail going to Gmail. So maybe it thinks somebody's doing something weird. So I'm right. like, well, you know what? I have another IMAP account. I have my, uh, you know, my me.com or my Mac.com or iCloud. Yeah. So I'm like, well, let me forward it to that. Okay, well, that that worked. So there's definitely, so one, it helped me identify that there was definitely an issue uh, taking mail from a forward from Gmail to OptOnline going back to Gmail for whatever reason. And I don't know if it's it's the OptOnline filter or I Gmail. Bet, I bet or, it's or, Google's, Google's spam filters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it didn't appear in my spam folder. It just, just, just didn't right. appear. Right. Um, so I forwarded it to my other IMAP account, which is, is Mac.com. And that appeared there. You know, it, it picked up the uh, the two address and, and it landed in my Mac.com and it had the two address. Uh, yeah. John and Mac. I'm like, oh, cool. Great. We're all set, man. So, I'll you know, I'll partition this. I'll, you know, put some of some of my mail here, some of my mail there. Sounds terrible. Well, well, no, it was great until I, I did a little test and, and I sent myself an email from one account to the other. And then I tried to reply. And this is right. where the feature you mentioned comes in handy on Gmail. When I tried to reply and tried to send something from John at MacObserver.com through the Mac.com SMTP server. But what happened is I tried to send the email and I got a, a kind of annoying error from mail app saying, uh, yeah, I can't do this right now. It didn't, didn't like go, a from address. And, and how did I, how did I determine this? You may ask. <laughs> did you, did you look at the connection doctor? Exactly. Because the uh, thing is, all I got was an error that all indications were that the SMTP server, outgoing SMTP server was broken. I'm like, ah, really? I mean, uh, iCloud has been having some issues as of late. Sure. Maybe not so much sending, but pickup. I've, I've seen their servers uh, disappear. But yeah, I couldn't get any detail that the error message from mail app sucked. Right. So I did. Yeah. As you said, so I went to connection doctor, said show detail. And then I looked. So then I hit send and looked at the details. And then I saw the response from the uh, uh, Mac.com SMTP server was, uh, I don't like your from address, dude. Yeah. Well, and that's that's why Gmail p puts you through that process of authenticating your from addresses, because they don't want to be 
they, they can't be allowing people to send from any address because then it would just be this spam disaster. Right. I mean, it, it, you know, outbound email was SMTP was created before spam was ever envisioned. And so it's already bad enough in that there's too many ways to spoof things through. This is at least one way that the server can say, no, 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 we're not allowed to send from that address by, you know. And, uh, right. I mean, yeah. the only thing that bothers me is so number one, mail app didn't give a good error message. And number two, as far as I can tell, there is a way to define, uh, uh, I guess they call them aliases, where you can define additional addresses within your uh, iCloud account. Okay. Or me.com or mac.com, but they have to end in, in me.com. Right. I yeah. couldn't say, oh, by the like, so Google definitely gets points of really fec- flexible in that you can add any address that's potential from address, but th- th- and they authenticate it. Uh, right. iCloud does not uh, currently, nor I think will they ever make that uh, an ability of, of their system. Yeah, probably not. All right. So in the pre-show, and I thought maybe we'd stumble into this here, but we didn't. So I'm going to I'm going to fish for it, John. Uh, in the pre-show, you started talking about setting up rules for something. Is it for the the, the mail that comes into your MacObserver.com address? You want that to go to a, a certain mailbox. Is that correct? Well, I have several uh, rights. So, so I have a, a rule base that pretty much based on the to address. Okay. Well, sometimes it's the from address, but sometimes it's a to address. So for different reasons. But safe to say that there's one rule that I have that says, okay, if the to address is John at MacObserver.com. Please put it in a folder uh, called Mac Observer. Okay. So I can fill, I can separate that from the, the email that I get for various other purposes. Got it. All right. Now, before, of course, because it was pop, that was landing in a folder that was stored locally. Okay. Um, so I guess, yeah, my question to you, the thing is, I would like to, you know, because part of the magic of IMAP is that you're, you're not stuck with accessing is that you have the flexibility to access stuff that's stored on the IMAP server. Sure. The way that happens now, and, and maybe you have a better way to do this. So right now what I say is, oh, okay, well, if it has John at MacObserver.com, then put it in this folder, uh, at this point now on the Gmail server called MacObserver. Okay. And, and, and then but- if I have my iDevice... Yeah. Then I, in theory, can access that folder. So, so that, uh, but I have, the, but the downside is that I have to run a rule in Mail App to do this. So, okay. So you want? I, I, I'm going to restate this just to make sure I've got this correct. Mm-hmm. You've got mail coming in, and you want your, um, you want certain mail based on this criteria to be put into a different box, also on the IMAP server, so that you can see this mail from everywhere. And you've got that set up via a rule in mail.app. But the problem is, if mail.app isn't running, for whatever reason, if you've quit it or your computer goes to sleep, then these rules don't get processed. Is that right? Is that the, the right? And they'll, the problem? they'll And they'll be in the inbox. And they'll be waiting in the inbox for mail to. So they'll be in the inbox, which is fine. But I would like to have a little more organization. All right. So here's what you do, John. Turn Mm -hmm. off all the rules in mail. (gasps) No. Yes. But here's because you're going to do what what we're going to call server side filtering. And this is going to become painfully obvious Uh, to you. Right. So what you do is turn off all the rules in mail app uh, that you can. And and instead, go back into Gmail, go to your mail settings and go to filters and now you can create all kinds of cool little filters out here and tell it to put them in. Now, mail calls these IMAP no. things mailboxes. Isn't G- that adorable? Look G- at that. Uh, 
Gmail calls them uh, uh, labels, I guess, you know, once you once you put a filter into place. Uh, but in the end, it's all the same thing. You know, you just brilliant. And that's it. And then your Mac, your Mac doesn't have to be on. The filtering's happening before it even gets to your Mac and your iDevices. It's brilliant. It's perfect. Uh, and you'll need to experiment with it and skip. You know, you, th- there is a checkbox uh, called skip inbox because otherwise, and this is where it gets really weird with doing IMAP with Gmail. IMAP call, uh, Gmail calls these things labels. Uh, it, it then translates them to IMAP mailboxes. So if you tell it to put something in a label and then don't skip the inbox, you will have two copies of that message on your Mac, one in your inbox and one in whatever folder you've told it to go to. So make sure you click skip inbox. You want to, okay. you, you just need to be aware because they don't warn you of this. You just need to be aware that you're not forking this and creating two copies or four okay. copies of a message. Otherwise, right, well, well, it's it's kind of similar to the thing I described with opt online mm-hmm. is that they have two options. Right. One, which, if any inbox, would you like to put this in? And I say none. Right. And second, would you, where would you like me to forward this? Okay, so because my other thing was, well, is there any, and my research didn't really come up with anything, is there any way to propagate my rules to my different iDevices? And I think the answer is no. Uh, no, but you don't have to if the rules I, live I, on I the understand. server. Exactly, right, right, right. Because that was my head scratcher, because before, and, and I think now, especially with iCloud, is that I think under mobile me, you could at least propagate your rules. I think, I don't know if it went to the, if you could copy them to iDevices, you could certainly copy them to other Macs, right? Okay. Uh, yes, you could. I think it was signatures, rules, and I think some other things, and I, and I think they, they stripped that away with iCloud. Right, right. Yeah, there's there's a couple of, and I'm looking for this now, there's a couple of um, like Gmail, knowledge, I'll call them knowledge base articles. Uh, but there's one there. I'm trying to find the one that tells you about some of the cool things you can do with Gmail filters, because there's some very interesting things that aren't obvious that you can do in, in putting things in the from filter. Uh, man, I wish I, I wish I had prepped. I hadn't really thought about this um, because there's some like the from filter can be used in a very creative way and it doesn't all have to be in the from mailbox. You can search for headers there. Maybe that's what I got to do is look for this headers in Gmail filters. And let's see if I can find it as creative as possible. I think there is filtering on custom headers. Yeah. It's advanced search is what you're doing. Yeah. Here it is. Perfect. Okay. So we'll put this in the show notes too. There is a Gmail article um, about doing advanced search and you do it in like the from thing, but it, it could be anywhere. So, um, and you can find things for lists and you can find things for custom headers and all sorts of great stuff. So you can, you can filter by dates. So we'll put that out there. It, it definitely requires getting a little bit geeky if you want to do anything advanced, but if you're not looking to do anything advanced, it's really, really straightforward to set up these Gmail filters and then you're good to go. Yeah. Like you said, John, you've got, you know, Stuff coming in and it gets routed long before your any of your devices, your Mac, your iDevice, you know, nothing. It's not beholden to anything. So, and that's that's exactly what I want. So that no matter what email, yeah. So any IMAP email client that I use, whether it be on my iPhone, right, or my Mac, the the directory structure is going to be the same. That's, that's exactly what I wanted. I know. And I, I figured we'd we'd. Have I'm going to put in a, a good word for you with the boss. Thanks. I, I think you should get a raise. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Uh, oh, that's great. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, I, did, I hadn't looked at that. I hadn't gone through it yet. I think I would have found it. But, yep. but yeah, you gave me the tip that I need. Wow. Yep. Like I said, it, it would become painfully obvious as soon as I just pointed you at it. Yep. Which is 
which is what's right. Um, okay. Now, I, well, now I'm screwed. I, uh, Oh, I found it. Cool. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I use a note taker and I use this little, uh, Pogo sketch pen to, uh, to, to mark our, our agenda. Cause I've gone green and I don't print a paper agenda anymore, but, uh, but somehow I had misplaced my, my Pogo sketch. So I had no pen to cross this off the agenda as we were moving on. And that's really, really bad. All right. Uh, our second sponsor for this show is bare bones and they are the makers of BB edit. Uh, you can check all this out at barebones.com. You can buy BB edit in two places. You can buy it at barebones.com. You can buy it in the Mac app store. It's the same price either way. And it's 50 bucks. Uh, very, very cool. And so much cheaper than it used to be. It just, it's, it's awesome that they've, uh, that they've done this. Uh, BB edit 10.1 is the current version out. Uh, bare bones with BB edit has been the longstanding default editor for any kind of code you need to write. It might be, it could be something advanced like, you know, C plus plus, or it could be uh, less advanced. Not that HTML is, is um, not advanced, but, uh, but more people code in HTML than C plus plus. And you can do both and pretty much everything in between. Uh, right there in BB edit. Very, very cool. This stuff. I use BB edit all the time, even for non coding things. You can take two text files and compare them and it'll actually show them side by side and let you walk through where the changes are. It jumps you around to the changes. It shows you exactly not just what line the changes uh, are in, but, uh, but the exact change and you can apply changes, you know, from one to the other or back, uh, really, really cool. Uh, you can use it to count words. You can use it to to uh, to to sort things. I, I'm I always find myself going into BB Edit to uh, to do something with text editing. Of course, you can go to barebones.com and download a free trial, and I highly recommend that you do that. Uh, very cool stuff. My guess is once you start using it, you're going to be hooked. It's fifty bucks, uh, forty nine ninety nine, either at the Mac App Store or at barebones.com. You can go either way. Frankly, you probably if you're if you've come this far, just go buy it direct from Barebones because then they get to keep all their money as opposed to giving some of it to Apple. But uh, but you know either way, you're supporting Barebones and they support the show. It's a fantastic thing. But first and foremost, just go and try the trial out. Uh, my guess is that you'll be like me if you're geeky at all, and I think we all are, uh, and you'll love it. So Barebones.com, check out BB Edit Ten, and uh, and I hope you'll be as happy as I am. All right. Uh, where are we here, John? Let's uh, let's go. Let's go to Giles here. I think I've got uh, I think I've got something from Giles. I'm sort of out of sorts here with my organization today, John. I think it's the semi head cold I have. Uh, mm. Yeah. Although my throat feels better than it did last week. So go figure. But it's moving up. And so I hope it just keeps moving up and then leaves. Right. But not in any violent way. It just can sort of osmosis its way out. Uh, Giles writes, I'm trying to move all my data from Windows XP machine to a new MacBook Air using migration assistant. And I'm having problems. I've connected the two machines using an Ethernet cable using the USB adapter on the air. And the two connect fine. And the Windows migration assistant starts searching the Windows PC, but stops after a few minutes with the error. An error occurred while preparing your information for transfer. I looked and looked and I found some discussion on Apple's discussion boards about this pertaining to the data in Outlook 2003. I tried doing a compact data in Outlook 2003, but the error still persists. Please help me get my info transferred. 
Okay. So I took a look at the discussion forums and, and I looked elsewhere, John, and it sounds like migration assistant for windows. Thank goodness, because it's an Apple product. Of course it does things like this. It keeps a log of what it's done. And more specifically, it gives you more details about the error. The trick is you have to know where to look and on your windows machine. That is in your, uh, on your C drive in users in your usernames folder, uh, in app data, in a folder called local and in a folder called temp is system migration.txt. Uh, in there, it will list specifically what the errors are. And it may be that I've seen some people reporting that, uh, you know, compaction sometimes fixes it, but other times you might actually have bad entries, older entries in a calendar or something like that. Uh, and it will point you to those. And, uh, and hopefully you can just go through and, and, you know, either delete them or change them or update them in a way that rewrites that file and, and removes the damage. And then you should be good to go. But, uh, but yeah, always as a kind of, as a general rule to all of us, and again, it's not always easy to find them, but find the log file if you can and look, because that will give you more information. Any thoughts on that, John? Have you done a migration assistant from windows machine in a while? (sighs) (laughs) No. Ah. No, but I'm with you. Kind of, kind of like the, uh, the 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 problem that I brought up before, where for whatever reason, mail said yeah, I'm not going to send through this mail server, and it just threw up an error that, yeah, the 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 the, the that in and of itself, kind of like this other error message, wasn't going into enough detail. So there has to be another place to look, and you found it. So yeah, yeah, there has to be. That's uh, that's the trick. All right, uh, let, we've got a couple of questions. There's, yeah, well. They're different than our email thing, but but they relate to email addresses, so might as well go this route. Uh, Harvey writes, a friend was given an iPad by someone who preloaded it with some nice, i.e. costly, apps. She does not have and would prefer not to ask for the password for this person's iTunes account. She has since established her own iTunes account and has used it to purchase other apps. She does not have a computer at home and has never synced her iPad, so she's still running the OS issued when the original iPad was first released, i.e. OS prehistoric. She's coming over to visit for the holidays, and I would like to bring her iPad into the modern age so that she can run iOS 5 and back up to the cloud and all of that good stuff. My idea, however, uh, includes backing up her iDevice to my Mac and reloading iOS 5 onto it since that's the way that works. But I can't think of any way to do this without wiping out the pre-installed apps from the person who gave her the thing. Am I missing something is question number one. And then question number two is, if I did have the gift giver's iTunes password, could I switch between accounts while backing up and restoring to maintain all the apps on her device? So uh, a noble cause here, Harvey, and and a wise cause. Um, Yeah, you're going to need that password uh, in order to do anything. In fact, you eventually you're going to need that password. If any of those apps ever need to be updated, uh, it would need the password of the account that was used to buy those apps. So uh, hopefully you can still get in touch with this gift giver and and have them give you this password. Uh, And then yes, once you have it, it's actually very easy to do this. Um, In fact, and I've talked about this here before where you can have uh, the uh, different apps from different accounts stored on the same iDevice and update them as you will. And it'll just ask you for the right password when you're going through and doing updates and all of that. So yeah, I think you're going to need the password, but once you have it, it should be, should be pretty straightforward. So um, any thoughts on that, John, before we move on to another more in depth and related question to, to this? I, 
I'm a simple man. I only have one account. So, no. well, in that sense, you're quite lucky. I, I, uh, it's, it's a pain in the neck having to deal with multiple accounts. It's not terrible. I mean, it, you know, you just got to go in and log out of one and log into the other, uh, when you want to download new things. But again, for updates, it's cake. It, it, now, is this, actually is this well. one thing that jailbreaking of, uh, will, will nope. fix? Okay. Nope. It's all. Yeah. No, you still can't be logged into two accounts at once. Yeah. Unfortunately. You, well, that's not true. You can't be logged into two app store accounts at once. Uh, once you're jailbroken, you can be logged into an account in the app store and then another account in the Cedia store for your jailbroken apps. But, but as far as the app store is concerned, no, it's just the one account. So, uh, oh, and you know, uh, it was unrelated, but you, we, you've been shaking your fist, John, about uh, how you can't remove things from photo stream, you know, pictures on your iDevice or whatever that you've taken or screenshots or whatever you want to take out. Well, True. I, I saw a tweet come out today <sighs> that said there was some developer release of iOS five. I think it was 5.1 beta two. I haven't installed it yet or anything, so I can freely talk about the tweets that are out there. And according to pretty much everybody that said anything about it, they are giving us the option at some point to remove those things. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Well, like we speculated, Dave, there's there's at least one or two people at Apple that that heard our plea. That's right. Or heard my plea. So I, I got to say, I'm just thrilled that, you know, they're fine tuning the, these no, aspects uh, for all of us, for not just us. for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good. Okay. Yeah, that's the way. Should we, well, that they're they're. Uh, I think they're just ironing out the kinks in the initial implementation and then they're going to refine it as they do with many things. That's and right. That's right. Awesome. Oh yeah, it is awesome. All right. Uh, speaking of Apple IDs and all that stuff, David writes, he says, here's what I'm trying to accomplish with my wife. Number one, we want to share the same Apple ID for purchases. Number two, we want to share photo stream only through iCloud. Number three, we still want to have a separate iCloud IDs for our email. It seems possible as each device can have its own iCloud address and we're el eligible for two iClouds. But can it be done? Uh, and then uh, he says, uh, yeah, OK, so, yes, it can. But uh, let, let's talk about each of these things one at a time. We just talked about how you could have two uh, Apple IDs being used for apps on the same iDevice. Well, he wants to do the inverse. He wants to have one Apple ID being used on multiple iDevices for apps. And it's, you can totally do this and it's really easy to do because the Apple ID that's related to your app store account is not related to anything else. There's not forced to be related to anything else on your iDevice. So it's cake to do this. That's the easiest thing. So number one, big fat check. That's good. Number two, you want to share photo stream only through iCloud. And we're going to talk about number two and number three at the same time. So uh, number three, meaning you want to have you want to have the same iCloud address for photo stream and different iCloud addresses for your email. So the way you're going to do this is you're actually going to set up three different iCloud um, addresses and, and you can do this. It's no problem. One of them you are going to use only for photo stream. And that is going to be the first iCloud address you add to your iDevice. The iDevices, I, I, you know, anything running iOS 5 will let you have multiple iCloud IDs installed or configured on it. But only the first one lets you do photo stream, documents and data and iCloud backup. Any additional iCloud IDs that you add 
will not have access to those three features, but will still have access to mail, contacts, calendars, reminders, bookmarks, notes, and find my iPhone. So you're going to add an iCloud to both of these and you're going to turn on only photo stream, meaning you're going to go into mail settings and uh, go into your, this iCloud account and turn off everything except for photo stream. And it's no problem. You've got little toggles for each of these. Then you can add another iCloud account to each of them. That's going to be separate one for your email, one for her email. And you can turn those on. You can do calendars or contacts and find my iPhone and you know, all that good stuff. But, uh, but it's a little quirky, but it's doable. So there you go. I think that's, I think that's the magic answer, John. I'm with you. All right, cool. Um, let's talk about this SSID thing. Michael. <laughs> We've got two questions from two different Michaels and we're going to attack both of them. Michael writes, here's the background. I need to run two wireless networks in my house, one with internet and one that is purely local. The reason for this is that the main internet-enabled router must be located in the basement and provides marginal signal strength in my wife's home office, located, in, of course, in the furthest point in the house from the main router. The signal strength is stable and strong enough for all of her office internet needs. However, it is not good enough for me to access a wirelessly-enabled printer and scanner, especially when scanning large jobs. My solution was to dust off and fire up a second wireless router, not connecting it to the internet and locating it in my wife's office. This gives her a great signal uh, located to my IP that I can also get from my PC on the first floor. The solution meets my needs for allowing me to scan large jobs to my PC downstairs from the printer located in the office while remote remoting to my PC via my iPhone. By the way, PDF pen is now a critical part of this solution. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, that's good. Uh, however, this is where my question and problem comes up. Since I now need to regularly switch between networks, I have the wireless status control set to show on the menu, and I simply select the desired network as needed. I typically like to set my routers not to broadcast my SSID, but it seems that if I do this, then the Wi-Fi status tool will not show the networks, even though they are in the known and preferred list. The only way I can switch networks is to rejoin, and it would seem that would be more efficient to crack out my chisel and stone tablets to make copies. All my other wireless devices, specifically iPhones and Windows PCs, can all handle switching between cloaked networks easily. Is there any way to switch easily between wireless networks when the SSIDs are cloaked on my MacBook Pro running Lion? So let's let's stop right here. Actually, let's answer his question first. But then I, I'm going to send Michael down a completely different path. And longtime listeners of Mac Geek have probably of course know you where will. I'm going. But but let's let's answer his question first. I, in I, in my experience, I've seen what he's seeing. Whereas it, if if you're trying to switch between Closed networks don't only appear in the wireless dropdown if you're connected to them. Well, all that, I got to say is I haven't experienced that. Okay. So you have two, you have multiple closed networks. And when you're connected to one, you can see the other in your dropdown list. And well, the, I only have one, but what I did, so it was a quick, well, no, it's a quick test before yes. we started the show here. So I decided just for, kicks on my uh, MacBook Pro, which is running Lion, and yeah. I have a different Wi-Fi issue with that. And so in the airport menu, it showed, uh, of course, of course, because I was connected to it, it showed my cloaked time capsule. Okay, good. Then I saw in the list, um, you know, I, don't, I don't know who this is. I, I don't think I'll talk to them, but I saw something called Linksys. Oh, 
Yes. Which doesn't have a lock next to it. Actually, all the other, it's the, it's the only one (laughs) that is near me that doesn't have a lock on it. So I'm like, oh, well, let me connect to that. And I connected to it. So that of course is a broadcasting network. Right. And then when I looked in the pull down again, I saw my supposedly cloaked uh, base in the list. So that's why, Now, I don't have enough data points to work with. I don't have two cloak networks. I only have one. I I certainly could. Maybe I'll do this as an experiment because I also have an airport express um, in addition to the time capsule. So I could try that. But my experience is that, you know, you'll eventually find it if if it's known. So that's and, and especially because when he said it's in his preferred network list, I'm like. Because I think that's the precondition. I think if it's not in, if if the computer doesn't know about it, then you're never going to see it. But if you go right. into, but if you go into network and then you go into the, uh, you know, advanced and under Wi-Fi, there's going to be a box called preferred networks. And as long as it, it's in there and, you know, actually I see my other one too. Uh, I, I should have plugged it in. Um, but it's also in the list here. And from what I recall, typically yeah, I'll set mine up huh. from a security, from a security standpoint, I'd like to make my networks closed and just give it to people that I know. Sure. You know, and you and I've done this in the past and where we're traveling or, you know, the TMO crew is, uh, you know, on the road and we wanted to share, you know, if we're on the same floor of the hotel, uh, I, I would cloak it and then give the name of it to, uh, to, to staff members. I just didn't want people leeching our, uh, our bandwidth. Right. Um, all right, so, at- so so I don't know if he has to clear that. So let me offer a suggestion, yeah, and, then, and then you'll continue here. So I'm, uh, I think sometimes, and I've done this, but he he may want to clear that list out. So you may want to reduce the number of things in there. Maybe there's two because the thing is by default, I think is uh, that there is a box in there called remember networks as computers joined. And actually I'm looking right now and the one called Linksys is now in this list because I have that box checked. Yeah. Right. So uh, he may just have too many things in there and it's, it's getting too busy and it's never getting around to seeing his, but my experience is that they, they will show up if they're known and they're in the preferred networks. So. All right. Yeah, maybe. I'll, I'll maybe offer that. Yeah, maybe removing stuff from that list. I've certainly seen this before, where I can't find a closed network that I've joined, but if I type it in, it you know it works just fine. Um, but perhaps I'm having a similar issue to to our friend Michael here. So, but I still I'm I'm going to refute Michael's. Uh, I'm going to say that the situation that Michael is in is not necessary. But, but before I do that, John, I'm going to ask you if your CPU on your computer that you're using to Skype with me is pegged because you're getting a little bit like uh, robotic every now and then. And that's usually an indication of either bandwidth, which doesn't seem like we're having a problem with or CPU. Um, I'm at about 60 percent on each core. And for some bizarre reason, I'm looking in my activity monitor or I'm I'm using iStat menus because I like iStat menus. And you know what it's showing consuming 100 percent? DD service 64D. Say that again. You got you got robotic when you said it. Say it again. DD Delta Delta service 64 Delta. What is that? That's the uh, Drobo process. <laughs> Drobo, what do you? Uh, hold on, I'm going to exit the Drobo dashboard. I have no idea because I'm not doing anything. And then look at that. My processor just went down to about twenty percent each core. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see. Okay. If we'll see Maybe if I don't have the latest uh, Drobo dashboard. But yeah, that is a, a Drobo. Uh, I I actually had this come up because initially when I got the Drobo, 
I couldn't, it, it wouldn't see my devices. And I actually saw that in the firewall, that particular process was uh, listed as deny access. Really? And once I switched it on, I have no idea right now. Again, I'm not even accessing the Drobo. I don't, I don't even think uh, it, it's, uh, I'm certainly not running a backup. Right. Yeah, I'm look still, at that. No, I, I, I think I sound, well, okay, well, we'll go a little longer, but my processor just dropped from 60 on each core to 20. Okay. Well, we'll see if it gets better. But anyway, uh, um, so with, with Michael here, uh, what if, so we understand your situation. What if you could go back in time to when the house that you're in was built and run before they put up all the sheetrock? What if you could go back and run ethernet specifically from the basement up to your wife's office? That would then solve this problem because you could plug in uh, a wireless access point up there in her office to extend the wireless network. But you'd have an Ethernet cable going down to the basement at where you could, you know, you'd still be on the Internet and you'd have full high speed connection to the Internet router and everything would be happening. You'd have these two base stations. You could even name them the same so that as you move between the house, your computers are smart enough to grab the the one or the other and you'd never have to switch networks and, and life would be good. What if you could do that? Wouldn't it be awesome? And and I'm going to assume your answer is yes. But of course, we can't go back in time, or at least I can't. So uh, in instead of building a time machine or perhaps putting one on your on your Christmas list and hope that you've been nice enough this year to get one, uh, I have a second solution, and it's called Powerline. As I said, longtime listeners of Mac Geek Gab will know. Uh, but Michael said he's relatively new to the family here. And uh, and many of you are new to the family because we see new listeners constantly. In fact, we've seen listenership go up dramatically since the summer. So it's good to re-talk about this. What Powerline is, is it is a little device and you need two, at least two of them to make this worthwhile. Uh, but they're little devices that plug into your AC outlets and they have Ethernet jacks on them. And magically what you do is you get like in, in Michael's case, he's going to get two of them. He's going to plug one into a, an uh, electrical outlet down in the basement, and he's going to plug another one into the, an electrical outlet in his wife's office. And then anything you plug ethernet into these things, it is like they are connected together directly via ethernet. There's no additional configuration that you have to do. You can, if you want to tweak things a little bit, but out of the box, you plug them in, you plug Ethernet cables in, and it's like you've plugged those two Ethernet cables into each other. It just works. Now, the speeds are, uh, it's not gigabit, but it's faster than 100 megabit in most cases. I recommend buying the 200 megabit power line adapters. Uh, they do sell 500 megabit ones. My experience has been that they don't go any faster than the 200s, but hey, your mileage may vary. Uh, but now they've gotten cheap that the Netgear Powerline AV 200s, which is what I use all over my house, uh, are 70 bucks for a pair of them on Amazon uh, with free shipping. You know, it's through their prime or wh whatever, you know, so we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Go buy two of those 70 bucks. It'll save you the headache of having to kind of try and figure out how else to extend your wireless network. And it'll also save you the headache of switching wireless networks every time you want to scan or whatever and uh, and should keep everything happy. Go lucky. So uh, and then what you would do is what I would do is I'd plug, like I said, plug one into the basement, run a cable from your router down there into that. And then the one in your wife's office, run a cable from that into a router up there and give that router the same SSID and security settings as the one in the basement. You might want to give them different channels. 
to broadcast on. But but security settings and SSID SSID make them the same. And then as you move your eye devices around the house and all that stuff, it just, it's magic. It's awesome. They just hop around. Uh, it's just like they do at trade shows in big places. They don't just have one really strong. Uh, access point with, you know, with the name, you know, like at Macworld Expo, they don't call, they don't have this one big thing beaming things down and melting people's brains. They have, you know, zillions of these base stations all over, but they're all connected with an Ethernet network on the back end and they all have the same name. And so as you're moving around, it's just hopping from one to the other, whatever one's strongest and whatever one can handle you. So, uh, so that, that's, that's what I would do to solve your problem. But, uh, but hey, you know, that's just me. Yeah. No, you don't like that, John. That's just you. Um, it is. I'm. Uh, I'll. I'll just offer the the low tech solution here. Yes. Which is that you can certainly run an Ethernet cable. Mm-hmm. Now the only caution I'm going to offer is that most of what I was going to say don't trip on it. Okay, I thought you were going to say don't do it. Oh, no. The the only thing is based on what I've seen is that a reasonable maximum length of an Ethernet cable run, like a five E cable. Uh, from what I've seen in the specs is about 100 meters, which I think is about 300 feet, right? That's right. Yeah. So if it's less than 300 feet and you got a good, uh, you know, you can run it through the attic or the basement or you, you have something that's not going to cause you to knock down walls and stuff. Yeah. Then, uh, you know, then, because uh, I got to say in general, uh, unless they're very close to one another, wireless extensions, whether it be WDS or I think the other option is in most of the modern uh yeah, airports it says or well, it's, a, it's a choice that says extend network which basically makes one base glom on to to another that's right but they're they're really uh, yeah my experience has been there it's better than nothing but it's not the best way to no. extend your network because you're going to suffer yeah interference issues you're certainly not going to even though like like he was saying oh well you know the signal's great well the signal may look great from the one you're closest to but the signal and the speed between that one and the one it's talking to are right. certainly not, are almost certainly not at the maximum bandwidth. That's so right. it's, it's, yeah, they don't, it, it doesn't work. It fails. It's terrible. It, it works, but it, it's not, it, it, you're not going to get, and, and we, you and I, I think are all about maximum speed. So well, power you, lo- uh, you say that it works and I, I, I believe you, but I have never seen it work. No, true. No, truly. And I've tried this in probably 50 different homes with clients, maybe less, maybe, maybe more like 20 or 30. Uh, because I finally gave up on it uh, when I was doing consulting and I tried it everywhere. I tried it in my house. I mean, it's, I've never seen it work where it actually extends the range. Uh, it's just like you get, you know, crummy signal and it's just like, OK, more crummy signal. I don't know. So I, I'm going to do two things here, John. I'm going to talk about our, our final sponsor and then I'm going to mm-hmm. call you back on Skype. Uh, I know we're getting close to the hour, but we've got a couple of things that are good to go through. So we're going to keep going here. And um and, uh, and, you know, and, and but we'll keep talking, but, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about gazelle because gazelle is a cool place this time of year. And especially as we extend into the holidays, if you've got electronics that you're no longer using, you can flip them to gazelle and get cash for them. iPhones, MacBooks, iPods, old cell phones that aren't iPhones, uh, you know, your old video game systems, maybe you're getting one for Christmas and you're not going to use the other one. You can, you can flip them all with gazelle and it's cool. You just go to gazelle.com type in the name of your device. It's going to ask you some questions to qualify it. You know, how big is it? What does it have? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, is it the, is it the 64 gig model or the, the, you know, 32 gig model, whatever. And does it work? Is it water damage? Do you have all the initial, you know, um, uh, power outlets and, you know, power adapters, chargers and all that stuff. And then 
uh, it'll tell you what they'll pay you for it based on what condition you say it's in. And if you like it, they'll send you a box and you put it in no cost to you and you send it off. They'll evaluate it when they actually have their hands on it. And if they agree with you, they send you a check. If they disagree with you, they'll tell you that it's worth less than uh, we said or it's more than we said. But at that point, the choice is yours. You can either take what they're now saying it's worth or tell them, nope, send it back again, all at their cost. And I will give you a trick. Um, I've gone through and priced a lot of things through Gazelle. Uh, if you don't have the power adapter handy, especially for like old iPhones or iPods, or if you want to keep it, uh, tell them you don't have it. In my experience, it has not dramatically changed the price that they will offer me for it. So, uh, in fact, in many cases, it didn't change it at all when I went from yes to no on the on the power adapter. So essentially, you're getting a free power adapter out of the deal by, by you know, you got to be upfront with it with them and tell them I'm not going to include it. But uh, but try it both ways when you price it. But, you know. Extra power adapters, especially for iPhones and iPods and iPads, are uh, are good things. So check it all out, Gazelle.com. Great people to deal with. I've I've sent a couple of things to them, and it's always it's always worked out very well. All right, John, I'm going to call you back. So I will. Uh, I think I'm going to pause the show to do that. And he's back. At least I think he's back. Is he back? I'm back. Okay, good. Now, now it's getting better because yeah, before you hung up on me, it showed uh, twenty four by twenty four for our up and down. Uh, okay, and now uh, okay, the D number just crawled up to twenty four. So yeah, it, it, I think it was a Skype thing. Yeah, I think some of it was my processor, but as soon as I killed that rogue process there, uh, no, I'm running at twenty percent now. So good, good, awesome. Are we recording? Or oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We're back. Yeah, the, the, oh, we are. Oh, they, yeah, wow. say hi. Yep, oh my gosh, people. Here. Oh, they get to see how the sausage is made. <laughs> That's right. All right. Uh, let's go to Keith and uh, and we'll talk about a couple of these things. So Keith, this is a good time of year for this, Keith. <gasps> oh, oh uh, yeah, I did get my list ready. So. Good, because I didn't, but I can I can do it on the fly here. <laughs> uh, so Keith writes, uh, longtime listener and user of an iPod Touch. However, I just got my first iPhone 4S and was wondering if you had any suggestions for a case or other protection for my new toy. Like I said, when I saw Keith's email, John, I thought, whoa, what a perfect topic of conversation to have uh, as, you know, as we're approaching the holidays here, because it's almost becomes like a little gift guide sort of thing. So uh, so I'm going to talk about what I use on my iPhone for. Uh, actually, to be honest, I use a um, I use a, an anti glare shield on the front and a regular shield on the back to protect the glass. And that's it these days. That's what I'm using. But. Part of the reason that is, is because I need to check a lot of different cases. And so I've wound up living without uh, a case on it. But there's lots of cases to use. You use a case on yours, John? Absolutely. And I'm going to, if, if you want to let me go, I'll, I'll go. Yeah, go. Yeah. All right. So I got a number of cases here. Now, full disclosure, these have all been. Uh, all right, so uh, let's, if uh, you've got a number that you're going to talk about, let's just go back and forth with them. All right. And full disclosure, these have all been uh, given to me uh as as freebies from the the vendors because uh you know hey that's, that, how, it that's how it works right so like here try this out and if you like it you talk about it if you don't then then well i don't know what happens in then the dope case that's right so the first one so the one that i have that i've been so i tend to like well at least so for my ipod touch so i have an ipod touch i forget what generation it is but um this is a really nice case and it's it's a sheath and uh the, sena is the company s-e-n-a cases.com okay 
And I remember one time I had one of theirs and then I got a new device and uh, they're like, oh, no, no, that's the wrong case. We got one that's that's more form fitting for for your device. I think they gave me an iPhone case and they also have one special for the iPod touch. So that's really nice leather. Uh, they have also, you know, I just got basic black, but they have all sorts of styles here. So that's uh, one that I currently use for my iPod touch. Cool. All right. Uh, so let's see the um, the the. For the iPhone, I just got one from Spec in the mail uh, the other day, and it's there. Um, they've got the they call them these Fab shells, I guess, and and they're cool because it's a it's a shell that just you know snaps around your uh, your iPhone for us, but it's um it, it it's like it's got cloth in it. it it's pretty cool. You got to go take a look at the uh, at the pictures of these things. I mean, they, they've got different patterns. They've got you know. Uh, plaid patterns and things that look like sweaters and, and uh, they've got like a rainbow pattern and stuff, but they're really handy to hold in your hand and they're not slippery, but they're also not rubbery cause it's cloth. So, uh, so I had one of those on, on my iPod actually over the, on my uh, iPhone actually over the weekend. And, uh, and I really enjoyed that. So, uh, so that, that's spec at the, uh, and it's the fab shells so is 35 bucks, I think 34 95. So check that out. Next. All right. And what I have on the iPhone, so I recently got this at a show I went to, and it's from Zero Chroma. Okay. Now, before I had a case from Griffin that was another sheath, and, and I think they've since discontinued it, but they do have a new series. So, so one, it was the Griffin Elan series. You may want to look at those if you... Uh, for iPhone cases. But then, once I saw this other one, and, and I liked it because, it, well, it has a clip... So you can clip it on your belt and you can clip it in either a, a horizontal or a, a vertical orientation. Okay. Depending on how you wear it. So for people that are in the, you know, the thing is I never, you know, got into like the, the, you know, Batman thing and like, you know, had had the, the utility belt. Uh, I always just put it in my pocket, but I liked it because it fully enveloped the, uh, the, the, the phone and I could slip it out. The only thing is, you know, once I took it out of the case, then it was not protected. But then once I saw this other case, then I, I lean towards the ones that, that partially enveloped the iPhone and zero Chroma has one that, that they gave me and it's the iPhone four slash four S T-E-A-T-R-O, T-T-R-O-S. And why do I like this case? Because it has a stand built into it. Oh, cool. Because what I found is that a lot of times when I'm using my phone, I don't like using it flat on a table. And that I find it awkward. Sure. I, I sometimes, no matter what I'm doing on it, I would like it to be at an angle. And before, I would try to make this happen by leaning it on various things on my desk or table or whatever was nearby. Sure. And uh, that's not a good solution. This has a stand built in, but the cool part, so it's a 14 position stand, but it also rotates so it can either be in a vertical or horizontal orientation. Oh, cool. So... So it's very nice. And then I think I told you our, our buddy Duffy, you know, I tweeted about it, you know, after, so shortly after I got it and he said, and actually he was like, oh, wow, you know, I bought one just based on your recommendation. Uh, and that those are at least from their site, thirty nine ninety nine. Cool. All right. Um, so I, uh, I have something on my iPad too. And I, the iPad is something that needs a case uh, because you can't just hold it in your hand. Um, all the time, you know, you really want to have to be able, you want to be able to put it down and, and stand it up and, and all of that good stuff. So uh, I've been using something uh, also from spec called the fit folio cover. Now what the fit folio does is um, it, it's a, it's a full cover for the iPad. It, it, it snaps on to the, the iPad itself 
but it doesn't come up over the lip. It's uh, it basically gives you a flat, flat surface there. Uh, it just grabs enough. It holds strong, but it doesn't, you know, come over and, and give you this big bump on the edge. It's really flat. And then uh, it's got, uh, you know, another part of it. I mean, it's all one thing. It's a, a cover that comes around the front and protects the, the front of the iPad. But that cover can then be flipped back and you can put it, uh, you know, up on its uh, on its side a couple of different ways. You know, you can flip the covers around and it's really, really nice. I like the feel of it. It's, it's leather. Uh, it's plenty of, of access to the headphone jack and your volume buttons and your rotation lock. And on the fit folio, uh, there's a little nub on the side with a little elastic that lets you lock the cover in place, which is cool. But as I'm looking at this on spec site, John, I found something that they call the mag folio for the iPad two. And this has magnets that work with the iPad twos sleep and wake function. So I got to check one of these out and I haven't seen one yet, but, uh, but that looks really cool. And that's the, the spec mag folio. So I got to check that out. Cause that looks like the next iteration of this thing. And uh, I'll probably love it. So, uh, okay. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to follow up, even though I don't have an iPad. Yes. I just want to mention this, Dave, is that the, the people that I just talked about, Zero Chroma. Yeah. They also make an iPad version uh, and it's not just the case. So they make just, so imagine the one for the iPhone, but it's just huge. Sure. And I think it only has 11 till positions instead of 14, but it does, it gives you the same ability. It lets you uh, elevate the device either horizontally or vertically it rotates and then they also i think built into it is also a, a smart cover and i think it does the the smart cover thing where you can fold it as a right you know as a, like, as a triangle yeah 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 um so they have that one that's 49.99 uh, from them um, cool so that's nice but then i got another gadget dave it just <laughs> yeah, doesn't go. stop and i'm gonna tell you and and this is you know again I uh, I think you'll be excited by this because you know again I'm I'm kind of growing as a person here I'm you know I'm changing my email I'm doing but remember how I said a while ago ah, I'm never going to use an iPhone as a GPS yes well you know what changed my mind Navigon no Magellan oh, oh. have you tried Navigon I I had not no well okay. what I'm working with right now is Magellan okay. So I, I hooked up with them at a show and I think they got me a link to their software, but without uh, a mount, I'm yes. like, eh, yeah, so, so, so I didn't really install the software. And then all of a sudden, just like a week ago, I got from them. So they call it the Magellan premium car kit for iPhone. Yep. And this is a kit. So, so it has, it does a number of things and I think it's similar to other products that we mentioned, but I'll highlight there. So it's a hundred bucks. So it has a mount, but here's the nice part. And this is where I was worried about some of these products. It, it, it basically lets you clamp. So, so one, it can either be a suction mount or I think a, an adhesive mount. So I went for the suction mount, uh, put it on the windshield, which I, I think it's legal to do or I haven't been pulled over yet. Okay. So that's the first thing. The second thing is it, it has a plug for your iDevice and it also has a, a lighter plug. So you're charging your device. And I think that's part of a lot of these solutions as well. So that's cool. Yeah. I think it also has a, a jack where you can plug in an external speaker if you need to, but it has built into it a Bluetooth speaker. Because the problem is the iPhone, the volume isn't that great on it, you yep. know, especially if the that's GPS right. app. Oh, so I'm using cool. their GPS app. Uh, oh, and I have to look up what their GPS app is called. Maybe you can find that while I'm babbling about their uh, their car kit. But then so their car kit has a Bluetooth speaker. And I think you can also though I haven't yet. You can also use it uh, to make phone to receive and make phone calls. So it's like a speaker phone. Um, but then what's the oh, but here's the other cool part about this. So it not only is is a mount 
that lets you run an iPhone with their GPS app, but it includes a GPS in it. And why would you do that, you ask? Well, the thing is, you can also install their software on an iPod Touch. Oh, wow. Because the device has a GPS built into it. I think sure. it, at least as good, if not better. So to me, that was, the, it, it, and as soon as I re- read the specs for the device, I'm like, well, it works with the iPod Touch. Well, why should that matter? It doesn't have a GPS. A GPS app is useless on the iPod Touch. Right. Well, no, it's not because this device, the car kit has a GPS built into it. Right, well, I want to put you in touch with the Navigon people because... When I tested all the GPS apps last time around, there was no question that Navigon was hands down the market leader. I mean, it was just no question. So I'm curious what your opinion is. Okay. All right. Their app, their app is Roadmate. Okay. And I'll say I'm pretty happy with it so far. And actually the, the, the eye opener the other day. So I actually used it uh, when I was going somewhere yeah. uh, locally. And then as I was coming back, it turned into rush hour. And, and this is a feature, I think. Uh, so, so two of the features that caught my eye. So one is the app itself said, uh, dude, there's traffic on the Merritt Parkway. Yeah. Let, let me suggest another route. Yeah. So at the very least, and I, and I think this is not uh, unheard of, but it has a feature where you can get traffic reports. Sure. And it suggested a route to me. And it was basically took me on the post road versus. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's about the only option in our area when the local highways are jammed is is one of the state roads. One thing I've found, my car does the traffic rerouting automatically and, and pretty much every GPS app does. But at when it works. It, well, the one place it does not work and then I turn it off is during rush hour because every road is either full of traffic or the traffic on it is not charted. And so like in your case, traffic on the post road isn't charted. Traffic on the Merritt Parkway is. So it says, ah, I see a road that has no traffic reported. And so it sends you there, even though the post road still probably has some traffic. And in the end, it was probably about the same amount of time. I've found, but uh, at non rush hour times, the traffic thing can be awesome because if you've got some, you know, freak accident that's stopping traffic on the Mass Pike or whatever, it's a gorgeous thing to be able to route around that before oh, you're yeah. stuck. Yeah. And I've actually noticed um, locally, uh, actually, the, the, the Connecticut DOT actually has a Twitter feed that okay. will explicitly, and, and I wonder if they're tying into this or if, if that is repurposing the. If they're sending out the data, but anyways, I got a Twitter feed that will yep. give me pretty much real time track event traffic events. It's like, OK, accident on 95 at this exit accident cleared. It's pretty accurate. So I think they're they're, they're probably just tweeting what, what the system already maintains. Sure. It's being tied into. And and the other thing that this one does, though, I haven't found it yet because we don't have these in this area. But it's supposedly it'll also warn you if you're coming into an area with either a photo radar yeah. or or uh, or a red light cameras. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Because my experience has been red light cameras is the typical reaction to those with most people is that if it's a marginal situation, people will slam on their brakes and cause an accident. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So I will I will add one thing to your GPS mount discussion, and that is uh, if you do keep a case on your iPhone, uh, a lot of these GPS mounts don't work with it. You have to take. And this one did. That's why I mentioned it. Okay. it. It was able to handle the uh, the 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 case that I just mentioned. So, so the, so the arm, yeah. And that was a worry. I'm like, Oh man, is this going to fit in there? And, and they, so that's another plus feature, but it's good that you mentioned that because a lot of them, I think assume you're just going to put the phone itself in, in the mount. Right. And, and there was one that I've got a couple of them 
uh, it's the Bracketron universal GPS window mount. And it's, it, it just, it's a, it's a pressure mount. So, you know, it's a, you, you put the phone in and you kind of crank it, crank the mount down onto it. And it's got these little arms yep, yep. that just hold it, which is great. I mean, it, yeah, it's how it needs to be. That's good. Yeah. I go, like I said, I go through phases where I keep cases on my phones and not, I get really picky about having stuff over the top of it. Uh, because it makes it tougher to type on, you know, in the edges and stuff. But I've had, there are cases out there that fit. In fact, I have one from, uh, from Dr. Bot. It, um, and I have to, I'll have to find this on their site. Uh, that was, it was actually cool. They, they picked it out, especially for me. Cause they know I'm a drummer. They, it had, it was a Disney case, but it had animal on it. But it was great because it only went oh around. from the Muppets yeah yeah the drummer from the Muppets <laughs> uh, it, it only went around the outside of the uh, of the case and didn't come over the top which uh, which was perfect you know that that's what I wanted um, so I had that on there for a really really long time and I will uh, I will find that here because it's a good thing uh, let's see Disney where am I here Disney yeah there we go iPod. So well, I will put that, yeah, put that in the show notes. You know, I All gotta right. say, I'm I'm sold on using my uh, my iPhone as a GPS. Oh, it's the best GPS you can buy, without question. I mean, the software again. I'm talking about now. I didn't. Benjellin was one of the ones I didn't check out. Um, but uh, but of all the others I checked out, it was like there was all the others and and there were some decent ones. You know, I really like Copilots for one of the for as a second best because it's so cheap. You can do like for five bucks. You've got an awesome GPS app. It's not as good as the Navigon, but you know, you're not paying 50 bucks. You're paying five. So, um, but that, but it was, you know, it was like, if you're going to use this on any regular basis, get the Navigon app that, and oh, yeah. I still maintain Cause the, that. cause the Magellan software, I think last I checked, it was 40 bucks, which yeah. I think is pretty reasonable. Yeah. And the other thing now that pisses me off about my, uh, sorry, but pisses me off about the uh, one that I have now, which is the Garmin new V360, which was fine when I got it like five years ago. Yeah. It keeps pestering me about the maps needing to be of updated. Course. Yeah. That's the thing. And I think I looked and I think I looked and to get a map update is $50, a lifetime right. map subscription, $90. But it's like for that money, I might as well just, now I'm not sure if these other guys update the maps dynamically. Constantly. I, Constantly. Oh, they do. Okay. So well, any I don't know of these software, Magellan, I would assume Magellan does, but, uh, all right. Okay. So I want to get back to cases here. Cause there was one thing I Please. mentioned, uh, and then we'll, and then we'll head on out of here is I, I mentioned that I put a, um, an antibacterial screen on the, or not, sorry, not antibacterial. I'll get there. Uh, I put a, a, a matte finish, an anti glare screen on the front of, in fact, I have one on all of my devices, my iPhone, my iPad, my wife's iPad, and now my Kindle fire. Uh, it does reduce the clarity a little bit, but makes reading on it so much better. Uh, because you don't get, you know, it doesn't become a fingerprint magnet. Uh, you don't get reflections and glare from the lights. I, I love having these things on there. Now, uh, there's two ways to go about it. You can spend a lot of money on these or you can spend nothing. Uh, the one reason that you might want to spend a lot of money is, is, uh, something and by a lot. I mean like, you know, 15 bucks or something, uh, because you can get them at Amazon for like a dollar. Uh, but Fuse and I'll I'll put the link in the uh, in the notes here has an antibacterial screen guard for the iPad and iPhone and iPod you know all that stuff uh, and that may or may not mean something to you but uh, but that's the one I have on my wife's iPhone or I uh, sorry on her iPad one and uh, and it looks great too uh, but uh, but otherwise I highly recommend you just go to Amazon search for anti glare cover for you know insert your device name here and uh, 
and you'll find them for like 99 cents and then just look at whatever going to, you know, the, and, and it'll be like $3 shipping and 99 cents for the thing. So, you know, find whatever deal works, but certainly for five bucks or less, you can equip yourself with one of these things. And, uh, and there I've, I've talked about it before, but to put them on, get a little, uh, a little sprayer gun, uh, that you can spray water with and put in there a mix of mostly water and a really small, really, really small amount of dish soap. Uh, and mix it up in there. And then that's what you're going to spray in two places. You're never going to spray it directly on your device. You're going to spray it on the side of the, the shield that you're putting on. That's going to stick to the device. And you're also going to spray it all over your fingers. This way you can touch the shield and you're not causing all kinds of problems. So spray it all over your fingers, spray it all over the shield, and then just lay the shield onto the device and, you know, have like a, a credit card edge or something that you can sort of squeegee the water out and just have a towel to go around the edge and wipe it up as you're squeegeeing it out. And it'll go on perfect every time. I guarantee it. All right. That's uh, that's my story. And I'm sticking to it there, Mr. Braun. And now I think it's time. We've gone long enough. I think. Yeah. How, how long have we gone? I'm sure this is going to be one of our longest shows. An hour and 20. Yeah. Uh, okay. It's hour time to get 20. But we okay. had a great mail discussion, and I'm glad we did because, like I told you, I'm 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 growing up here. No, it's I'm doing good. it the right way. This After all good. these years of pop, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, hang on. Let me let me cross off Keith here. Okay. All right. What's uh, what's next for me, Dave? Uh, I I can't tell you. <laughs> it would blow your mind, so I can't tell you. <laughs> I mean, I got an iPhone. I, you know, I'm on IMAP. I mean, uh, what, what, how how much? I can't tell you. It's, uh, we know. We've got a list. We're taking care of you, but, uh, but we can't tell you. All right. <laughs> uh, All right. Well, so if we- anybody has a suggestion about what I should try next to get myself yeah. into at least the current decade, one way you could do this is to send an email, and I would send it to, though I think we mentioned it, but I just want to make sure that you heard me, feedback at MacGeekGap.com. That's right. Feedback at MacGeekGap.com. Uh, we take audio comments there. We take email comments. We take... Uh, or text comments, I should say. Of course, it's email, audio, video, screenshots. Screenshots are awesome. I gotta say. Yep. A lot of times, it it it, it helps us figure it out. Yep. It totally. But does. that's not the only way, Dave. You could also, if you want to tell me using the dulcet tones of your voice, assuming they are dulcet tones, <laughs> you could yes. call us. <laughs> and if you want to call us, you could call us at two zero six 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 six. Geek, which is 4335. You can visit MacGeekGab.com for the show notes. You can find us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash MacGeekGab. And lastly, really? yeah. Well, not lastly. No. But, well, 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 well we're in the home today. stretch here. Well, we're in the home stretch here. But yes, there is Twitter. You want to reach him at Twitter. Dave Hamilton, you want to reach me, John F. Braun. The podcast where you will get alerts as to when shows come out and when show notes are updated is Mac Geekab. And just general cool Mac news is Mac Observer, all available on Twitter.com. But also, I just wanted to add one more thing, Dave. iTunes comments. Please send us iTunes comments. We love that. We love them because then it, uh, you know, it lets other people know uh, what the show's all about. That's right. All right. Uh, so uh, we would like to thank Michael Johnston of the We Have Communicators podcast. We've got a good question coming from him that uh, that we will put in next week's show. He's the one that converts all of this to AAC for all of you and puts those chapters in. And really, it's really nice. Uh, and we'd like to thank Cashfly for all the bandwidth. And we in the podcast marketplace, we have 
the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit, as you know, from Bare Bones Software, Disc Label from Smile, Gazelle, of course. You get your Audible podcast.com slash Mac, sorry, audiblepodcast.com slash MGG for your free book and runrev.com for the Game Academy for the month of uh, December and January. Go ahead and make an iOS game with us. It'll be a lot of fun. And with that, John, I think it's time to get out of here. Get out. A couple more shows before we uh, before we dive into our uh, our Christmas holiday for us this year. Or whatever holiday. Yeah, Christmas. Yeah. Have a great week, folks. And uh, as always, don't get caught. Made up.